0: Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So, friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise? Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome back, friends, to another Performance Matters podcast. Bob Moser here, one of your co-hosts that you hear from quite a bit. So glad to have you here. Appreciate your loyalty and following to these. As always, please let us know how they're going, what we can talk about, how helpful they are. We always want to make these as beneficial as we can Today, we are talking a bit in the strategy matters area, in my opinion, and we are blessed to have a dear friend, one of the rock stars, in my opinion, in this business, earlier adopter to this whole thought, Carol Stroud. Carol, welcome.
1: Uh, hi, Bob. It's good to be here today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Carol is still back a ways, my friend, don't we? Yes. And, and yeah. Carol is one of the early folks who get into this. She did great work in her company, Saxon Bay Consulting, for years in this, and we're very fortunate to have her now and apply as one of our senior consultants and I think one of the thought leaders in this space as she does her work. Carol, tell us a bit about your journey. How did you get here so people have a context of your framing of what we'll talk about?
1: Right on. I came from traditional instructional design background. I did a master's degree way back Hmm. in the 90s at the time in what I thought was forward thinking, which was e-learning and distributed learning. And I was fascinated by how can someone learn through the interface of technology, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not from a face-to-face perspective, but using tools in conjunction with human beings that support the learning process. So that's why I went into the e-learning world. And I hung around in there for a while, about eight Nine years, I work in academia mainly, different universities and colleges, and worked for a book publisher who wanted to put online courses on in conjunction with books they were publishing. So that's where it started out, but I found that I didn't have access to lots of great technology that allowed me to build highly interactive learning situations. Most colleges and universities I worked with, we were designing pretty basic e-learning, And I found that that was pretty limiting in terms of what I was able to produce. And I wasn't satisfied that the experience that was being produced for the end user, the learner, was a good experience. It was kind of click through, complete this test. You know, it was just kind of tracking a bum and see. I didn't feel that we got to the point of good learning implementation for the end user. I then, after academia, moved into the corporate world thinking, well, for some reason, (laughs) applying these principles in a corporate (laughs) world is going to be different and maybe better. Mm. Turned out, not so much because corporately, they were really stuck on regulatory training and tracking. Didn't matter whether it made any impact to performance. What mattered is you click through, got all those clicks done, passed the test, and that was con- deemed successful. Their success rate was based on the fact that all employees completed this mandatory training. That's where I started to lose hope, <laughs> certainly around the implementation of e-learning. And it was it's kind of cool that I was tasked in, by an organization to write an e-learning strategy for them. And as I was researching how to put that strategy together for them, I bumped into the idea of performance support. I went, what is this? Uh, (laughs) So started to do more research and performance support and found Bob and Con out there talking about performance support. This is what it means. This is how to do it. And that's how I ended up joining into one of your first workshops at Maisie way back in 2008, I think it was. Mm. And that was a shift, major shift for me. Once I heard about the five, learning moments of need. That's where the coin dropped for me. I went, oh, I get it. I thought I had been designing learner-focused materials before, but I had been missing the mark. Once I understood the five different moments of need that needed to be addressed, then I got how I needed to change the way in which I was thinking and learn a new way of designing for someone, how they actually performed in a work setting as opposed to Mm -hmm what they were going to learn in a training setting. So that's how I ended up getting into this kind of a world.
0: Yeah, and it's really wild for me, Carol, because I I listen to these stories and we've interviewed others who've gone through a transformation. Sue Reber, one of our other dear friends and colleagues, and we all seem to come to this epiphany. Yeah. And for me, it was as I did my first RWA and and got involved in workflow analysis. I, I just remember leaving the first day of it, going back to my hotel room feeling actually a bit on the guilty side because I here I thought for years I knew exactly what my (laughs) needed. Yeah. Um, Because, of course, any SME be happy to tell you. So I was 20 plus years into a career at this point and had done a lot of this and and thought, holy cow, for this long, I really had no view into what my learners were thrusted into and dealt with every day. I I knew what I was supposed to bestow upon them, I thought, or at least the knowledge they should know. Yeah. Yeah. But the doing, I had no clue what the doing yeah. was like until I did this.
1: Well, I think part of this is the fact that we were trained, I certainly was, trained and educated in a way that worked for developing for an academic institution. Mm. right? It, it was an old way uh, or a different way for different purposes for designing instructional materials. When you get into the workflow, totally different thing. Your purpose for what you're designing for should be based on performance. What is it that individual needs to do within their workflow in order to complete the job for which they've been hired? So the idea that you actually design for that, which for me provides a direct link to value back to the organization, Mm. that was a nice closed loop. That's what I liked. It wasn't that I am just going to deliver this and there was no end impact to what it was that they had learned in my session, if I'm designing specifically for what they're doing in their job, now it makes sense and I can be more concrete in the sorts of things that we're developing because we want to see a change in performance come out of it. So I think it's the context of traditional ideas being applied in a different setting and it's just that those ideas didn't work because the purpose for the end user was different,
0: right? It's a flip in thinking, right? I mean, when when you sit down with SMEs telling you, well, here's all the stuff they need to know first. Yes. That's beginning the journey ahead of the performance. And then you hope that all that stuff begets performance. Yes. Um, Right. (laughs) Hey,
1: hey, Bob, my husband says hope is not a
0: course of action. (laughs) (laughs) So there we go. Right, Right. And that's what SMEs God bless them, but that's what we, and not them, right? They didn't just thrust it upon us. We brought them into rooms, but that's what we asked them to do, and, that, and so that's what they thought was the thing, was to bestow upon us this information that hopefully, when communicated effectively, would thrust learners into this world of performance that followed. This methodology says, no, 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 let's, let's not talk deliverable. Let's not talk course, outline, title, anything. Let's go out first and know and understand the performance. No one understand the criticality of outcome of that performance. No one understand the things that support and knowledge that makes that performance possible. The resources that surround and are enablers to achieve and do the tasks and performance. It really works you back into the design process in a very different yeah,
1: way, yeah, absolutely. And then <clears throat> we can apply we can apply best practices from those traditional approaches about how you engage someone to uh, learn a particular item. We apply what we learned differently in order to achieve a different outcome overall. You know, it's not like we throw everything out the window and say, this is a completely new way of doing business. It's a way of optimizing what we were mm-hmm. doing before and mm-hmm. getting to a different end result, which is directly tied back to value to the organization.
0: Pretty key shift in. You know, thinking. I love that. And because we do hear a lot, I do task analysis. I do, right? We we do all these, and I love how you're framing this. Those practices are still defendable, and they are still part of the mix. But the mix, with with a couple other important things thrown in, is what makes this very different for me. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what we want to do is leverage the good things that we had in our toolboxes before, and then we want to identify where those gaps are that really will help us to focus differently in moving forward. And that's that key fundamental piece of what is the workflow? How do we define it? How do we get it articulated? How do we make sure it's captured properly? Because then we can apply our vast skill sets to ensuring that it is supported properly within the context in which it's being completed, right? That's the other piece. This is not somebody who's sitting in a classroom or sitting on Hmm. the other side of their computer with plenty of time to read a screen full of stuff. You're talking about someone who's in the middle of a workflow, and I've done a lot of work in healthcare, and they are out there. They are moving. They need to get the information they need so they can make a decision and turn that decision into action real time, right at the time that they're there. They don't have time to read screens of information. They need to be able to get to the information they need at the time they need it to be able to turn it into action. Just imagine what's going on in those hospitals right now oh. in this context of today where all hands on deck and perhaps those hands are not trained or have not done that workflow perhaps in an ICU fairly recently. So how do we get them up to speed quickly? We don't have time to put them in a class to turn yeah. them out there onto yeah. the front line. So how do we support them?
0: And you know, I heard the other day that a lot of hospitals are because of staffing and such are pulling retirees. There you go. 10-year, eight-year, five-year removed from being a doctor, nurse, technician, and then to your point, even then, maybe not in an ICU. Correct. And it's funny because I think anyone trying to survive clearly not as critical or heartbreaking as the world you just described, but I think you describe the world of a lot of workers right now who are removed (laughs) from the building, are removed from their formal support structure the familiarity of their cubicle and all that they had lying around whether they knew it or not to help them work every day but they don't want a course <laughs> they don't want a, no, they, you know, they don't want an e-learning on those correct. things they want a very different a very different view Carol help me with one thing how why do you think L&D folks struggle with this performance mindset shift though so many really do when we try to bring this to them what do you think is the turning point or new lens with which they need to look at this through in your opinion
1: I think perhaps it is a certainly the teams that I have worked with where we're trying to shift to the new way of thinking letting go of old ways of doing things there is that sense of insecurity when you have to do things differently right mm. and go oh sure. well this isn't the way i used to do it but i also think in a lot of cases and it's not just the L&D folks it's organizations who yeah. perhaps have a sense that things need to be done differently but they don't know what it looks like right And if you can see what it looks like and what I have found with L&D folks, if we talk about what this looks like to support performance in the flow of work, and then we are able to connect their current skill sets and how they can be still be used, but Mm. used differently. That allows for a rapid turnaround in terms of being able to get a solution out there quickly. I think that's the missing piece is that A, they need to understand what it looks like and B, that they are still valuable in the process. Yeah. Because if you bring something in new and they may feel that oh, I don't want to learn something new and my skill sets aren't of any value in this process, that's not true. We still use those skill sets. We just use them in a different focus Yeah. in order yep. to make it happen. Some folks I've are able to see the image, see the picture and the future. And because we have to present that well, we have to give examples of what it looks like. And I bet you experience this when we show examples of what this looks like. People go, oh, yeah, well, I get this. And I we teach the course right on the certificate course. And when we speak to those traditional instructional designers and they start to see what it looks like. You can hear it in their voices on the other side going, oh, and they show it to their peers and their leadership are coming back going, we want this. We're only doing proof of concept, but they go, well, we want this and how fast can we have it? And we need a bunch more. That's the gap. They can't see what it looks like.
0: That was exciting for me in my evolution because the last thing I wanted to make after I knew this stuff was a course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. if, if you, if you, <laughs> under if you, your analysis, you understand the true workflow and what the learner is up against. And then say, how do I now support that best? The last thing you want to build is something that takes them out of it. Correct. Something that removes them from it. Something that dumps a lot of things on them in a short amount of time that they have to then go back into that world you now understand and the pressures that you now understand and somehow transfer all of that in any kind of meaningful way. It really is an interesting flip in the deliverable. Correct.
1: I like a a comment that Beth makes when she, our uh, key instructor for the certificate program, when she goes through and explains, here's what it looks like to design a performance support system. And it's almost like the minimal viable product that you, you know, here are the main key pieces. And if you design and develop to just those key pieces, you will have a success because Mm. if that can be turned around and implemented right away, you're helping the end performer immediately yeah Uh, so it's not a long development process you can turn these things around very quickly and then you just keep building them and you add 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 so that eventually you have a series of resources that can be reused in a training environment but the day-to-day life of the individual they have something at their fingertips right away that can make a difference
0: and again that's that's one thing i try to get across to folks in the building of this or the evolution of it both in the L&D side in the organization is that the chunk size we think of in training mm. is absurd. Mm-hmm. You know, we use words like leadership training or sales training or, well, there are thousands of tasks beneath those disciplines. To best point in your example is that if in this case, you can build to the optimization of a single task. Mm hmm. And build something for that that makes that task easier to do, remember, internalize, or transfer and stop. I mean, that can be enough to get you started in this. And then to your point, you can now hopefully you bite off more than that at a time, but it doesn't have to be how do I get an entire course into my organization? Yeah. How do I flip leadership training on its ear and make it into this model? You can look at a leadership capability. Or, or the lack of a capability in leaders in an organization, and run at that performance alone. Yes. And, right, a sub process, yes. as yep. we probably call it, and solving for that is enough. But to your point, once they get that thing, yeah. they want 28 of those things.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so, so be curious, ready.
0: <laughs> one of my favorite things I've ever heard you say is that there isn't a problem you haven't been able to solve with this. Oh yeah. And your face lights up when you say it, uh, and I've heard you say it a bunch of times. Can you elaborate a bit more on what that means to you as a designer?
1: Yes. So where that came from was it started out in organizations, and they would come to ask for a solution for what they felt was a known issue. So an example was uh, we have this, Our our staff are not using this particular piece of equipment very well. We want to do training on it to improve that performance gap. When we actually found out that the issue is the challenge is moving performance from the training space into the moment Mm. of apply in the workflow. So it started lots of known things. Oh, well, we know about this one. Can you help us with that? We know about this one. Can you help us with that? Then I started to work because the trust started to come within an Mm. organization. Then they started to come going, well, we're going to design this, in this case, a brand new building. And we are going to integrate several services into this building because we want it to be a one-stop shop for our end, in this case, patients. But we have no idea how to do this. But we have a vision for doing something differently. So within those conversations, we ended up saying, okay, well, let's do an RWA, a rapid workflow analysis. Let's describe what we mean by doing things differently. What is that performance? We got all the right players in the room all the different perspectives in the room. And we walked through describing what doing things differently in this facility would look like. So once we were able to get that articulated, then we knew what we would support, right? Then Mm -hmm. we knew how, you know, they could bring their new technology and how was that going to play into it? And then how would we develop performance support so everyone learned this new way of doing business in the organization, which they were going to be brand new at. That's when it became apparent to me This can solve any kind of problem because whether we have a sense of what the issue is or whether we have a sense of what we don't know, the systematic nature of the methodology, which is an RWA, that rapid workflow analysis, and then the application of what we call a failure impact rating on those tasks, what happens if they're not done well? From that, we were able to develop these new ways of doing business because we bring the right players those subject matter experts into the room it's their process Mm. they owned it they helped articulate it we got to their consensus on it it wasn't us coming in telling them this is the way you're going to do it because the process is facilitated they developed their new solution we just brought a way to the table for the to help them articulate it i always say okay what's a problem (laughs) Yeah, I, I've got a way to figure it out. I don't have your answer and I'm not going to describe your answer for you. I'm just going to facilitate the process by which you are going to generate this new way of doing business.
0: It's always intrigued me about this methodology, because when I was first taught I.D., it was in I.T. Yeah. And when I went in for my interview, the first question I was asked was, well, what's your I.T. specialty? And I was like, well, well, I know spreadsheets and I know, you know, because the the implication of that process, Carol, was that I, me as the designer, had to know the end, had to know the content. Yes. And therefore, I would have a foundation upon which to facilitate maybe with other SMEs. And I stayed in my swim lane in that company forever. I didn't go into other areas that I didn't know. Well, here I watched Dr. Con Gofferson walk into a building on brain surgery, and then the next week it's a bank, and then the week after that it's a veterinarian office, yes, or a toothbrush manufacturing company. By the way, all of which I know he knows nothing about. <laughs> I don't know. Are
1: you sure? Right, about
0: that? right. And, <laughs> and in the old school of design, one yeah. of the first qualifications was you knew the answer, yes. you knew the content. This methodology, and people ask us all the time, how do you walk into companies you don't know? and do this why in your opinion carol are we able to do that or should or is any designer able to do that because of the way this works
1: because of the way this works yeah (laughs) uh, we are the facilitators of the process so the rapid workflow analysis as i said the components that are included in that we don't own the content we're uncovering we know the questions to ask to help pull the content out of those people who own that process So you're right. We don't need to know. We're not the subject matter experts in any of this area. It does help to have a little bit of a briefing sometimes in order to understand at a higher level, perhaps how some of the pieces fit together so that you can make sure that the facilitation process is strong. But that's what changed for me as an instructional designer was to become a facilitator of the process to pull the workflow out of the people I was working with rather than me going in with some sort of design template that I was trying to check all the boxes in. This is a lot of conversation and it's a fascinating conversation because sometimes people come into the room and they have different views. And in one project I worked on, I had two opposing units that did not like each other. Mm-hmm. And yet in the new facility, they were going to have to work together as a blended team. And it was agony <laughs> the first couple of times. But then the process started to evolve and they saw how what they did was the same. Yeah, um, They did yeah. things differently, but they were able to get across their differences because of the conversations. I don't hold the conversations. I just kind of kick some of the doors open and say, well, what's this look like? And then they start talking.
0: You know, we hear that all the time, right? We go into organizations where they're like, well, we all do things differently. Yeah. Perhaps. Every unit. You know, yes. Everyone, you know. Everyone, yeah, everybody's every, different. It, it, but the irony is, that it, it, the and I, again, I've watched these a zillion times, that there's nuances in the weeds. Correct. At What might be the step level, let's say. But again, we're pivoting on workflow here, not in the weeds. Correct. And it has amazed me to watch, to your point, often opposing fronts come together and unite into the fact that, look, we're auditors, we're sales folks, we're machine toolists, we're leaders. And although the nuances of our department or our part of the building or the product we build has that, and and so many organizations often thank us after this because they've not had transparency to these processes. They believed they were different across units within the company itself.
1: You know, that speaks to the key piece that we're talking about here is the articulation of the workflow. How does the work get done specifically from the task to the step level process task and step level? And I haven't gone into an organization yet where they say, Oh, we've got this already. They never have it in the way in which we are trying to pull it out, which is the way in which the performer does the job. Mm. So the articulation of the workflow, making it visible having it discussed, and once you do one in an organization and then you do another one and another one, what I've discovered is I began to understand how businesses did business better than they understood it themselves, <laughs> because you'd, you know, yep. do one and then you connect that dot to something else, something else, and everybody had been working in silos, so nobody yep. could see how the integrated picture came together.
0: We had an SVP of sales once who told us after bringing us in to help him launch a CRM around his sales process. He had been hammering into his reps for years in lunch of the second day. He pulled Khan aside. He was facilitating and us and said, look, if you do nothing else for us, we have this (laughs) exercise. Thank you. You you have shown me how my salespeople sell. Yes. And I realized, even though I had taught them top down my sales process, what I was blind to was the reality of selling every day in the field. Yes. And we've had lines of business ask us to teach them how to do an RWA with no intention of ever doing learning or support, just to help them manage and understand the workflow of inefficiencies and inefficiencies of their people in a given day.
1: I don't see this as a... For me, this isn't a L and D thing. The way I see this work is it is a business process Love articulation that. and optimization.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So that when I look at a business, you know, some of my key partners, I'm looking for, is there a lean team in here? Is hmm. there six sigma going on? What I look for is if they are already looking at process improvement or they have some sort of framework in place, there is there a way to connect with them and leverage what's already going on in an organization with the common focus of articulating workflows being clear about good processes and then we support those processes mm. rather than going out and developing training and even performance support that's not founded on a workflow process it must be founded on that workflow process. And I, I've been reading Gloria Geary's book recently again. <laughs> I love it. She talks about the performance zone, and you know what we're after, as she describes it, is the employee's response is exactly matching to the requirements of the situation. Mm. Well, that's a pretty dynamic world that we're trying to solve for. And there's no way a training situation yep. could solve for that. It has to be made up of other components that allow for that kind of adaptability and agility within the workplace.
0: You know, and isn't this what L&D has been looking for? Isn't this the hidden gem in this whole thing for our industry is that we have been wanting and chasing ROI for as long as I've been in this business. And we always have held up a product that, in my opinion, even though it does what it does well, i.e. training, but just training and juxtapose it on business impact, on performance, and have always fallen short, always fallen short because it's a hammer to saw a board. Absolutely. You know, and so yep. notice, Carol, we haven't talked in this half hour or so about a course and e-learning and LMS uh-huh. or a, even an EPSS, yep. right? Those are the tools in the toolbox, but what we've talked about is a fundamental shift in how we become a partner to the business in what we understand about the business, what we help them understand about themselves, and most importantly, what we help enable the worker to do. Correct. And that's why all of us got in this. I know I did.
1: Yes. Clearly, there's a big gap between what can you accomplish in a training situation with all the human factors that are involved with that, right? Like Mm -hmm. how much can somebody actually learn in a X number of hours or even 20 minutes of something and then not apply it and then try to apply it three weeks later, well, of course, there's no retention. (laughs) There was all sorts of failures within that process for why it wasn't going to work. The weakest link is the human being in all of this. We have a certain ability, capability in order to learn and understand and retain and recall. And when you put that all in the context of doing work and daily lives and the, you know, the stresses that are out there, that also impedes on our little weakest link. So one of my favorite writers is Steve Krug, K-R-U-G, and he writes about usability and particularly around the design of websites. But his books are called Don't Make Me Think. Well, there you go. Don't Make Them Think. It doesn't mean hand-holding, but it does make it as uh, simple and Mm. on point and targeted to what it is you need them to do. And you cannot do that if you don't know what they're going to do. So let's start at the very basics, identify that performance, and then everything else lines up. But without the performance, I think you're just still in the swirl, training swirl out there.
0: Well, my friend, outstanding. I always love talking to you. I always learn from you when we do. And more importantly for me personally, it gets me, after so many years of this, excited about doing it and what <laughs> we're now and what, <laughs> what it finally lets us do. That I think we all got into this in the first place. So, thank you so much for your time, your passion, your patience with me, and your articulation of what I know you're so passionate about. So appreciate your work and your leadership in what we do. Carol, thanks so much for being here.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Bob. It was good. Appreciate it.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at B-M-O-S-H as well as our 5 Moments of Need website, which is 5 momentsofneedcom We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.